Welcome to the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson. I am your host. And today I am here with our senior pastor at Treach Memorial United Methodist Church, Reverend Daniel Humbert. Welcome back. Hey, everybody. Good to be here again. Yeah. I'm glad you keep calling me back. Wow. I know you're you're (laughs) going to be uh, on a little bit more regular than you used to be. Uh Oh, I just discovered you got some knowledge to share. Wow. (laughs) Wow. No, today, Somebody thinks so, who knows? <laughs> today we're going to roll around in a really fun question that everybody's dying to know the answer to. What does the Bible <laughs> say about money? <laughs> oh, the Bible talks about money. The money, uh, yeah. So wow. that's one of the things is the Bible talks about money so much. And sometimes <laughs> it's used as a teaching tool. Sometimes it's literally <clears throat> giving us instructions on how to manage our money. Yeah. And so a lot of what we talk about at this church and one of our core values is biblical relevance. Yes. And sometimes it's hard to find that relevance between how they talked about money 2000 years ago and how does it apply to us today? Mm. We talk a lot about um, themes in the Bible and, and sometimes we can caught up, get caught up in not seeing the forest for the trees. Yeah. We focus on really individual details, individual stories. We get caught up in it. And I didn't know, is there an overarching theme in scripture in the use and conversation about money? Well, yes and no. I mean, there really is uh, kind of two themes between the Old and the New Testament. The Old Testament money is always really talked about most of the time uh, in the context of generosity towards God, making an offering to God, helping to commit to God through the discipline, if you will, of of, uh, the tithe. In the New Testament, it's much more about how it helps uh, our attitude and our actions about bringing about the kingdom of God. And so when we talk more about the New Testament, we'll talk more about what that looks like and how it's important, how we live out our faith. So do you think that we are uh, looking at money in the church today through the lens of the Old Testament more or the New Testament more? Well, the goal really, at least for me, as I read Scripture, is that it's it's really both, because the offering and the generosity that we give towards our... our um, beneficent God, right, who gives us so much, uh, is that through these offerings, it helps us to better understand who we are in relationship to God, and then in turn, how it is that we can use these concepts of generosity and giving to promote and build God's kingdom, as it is in the New Testament. That Because that's what Jesus spends his time on with regard to money and wealth, is how do we, how do we build God's kingdom? So, so let's start with the Old Testament, because um, one of the things that we, any, every year when we're talking about generosity, uh, one of the things that we talk about is working towards a tithe. And that is part of our Old Testament knowledge right. of uh, giving 10% of your earnings in whatever way they present themselves at that time for them. It was animals. Uh, and offering them as a sacrifice for us today. It's an income, a monetary income. Um, And so we're always working towards that tithe. Um, But I wonder why is it that we lean into teachings from the Old Testament, like the tithe, but then there are other money teachings in the Old Testament, like uh, forgiving debt every seven years that we don't really follow. And it feels very cultural. So I just wanted to hear some of your input on that. Yeah, well, so... The tithe is pretty much an Old Testament concept, right? It's it's only really mentioned once in the New Testament by Jesus, and 
and he he kind of gives it to the Pharisees over that Matthew twenty three. But um, the the deal about forgiveness of debt is fascinating because it is written there, and it's written in a couple of different places in the Old Testament, uh, not the least of which is sort of every seven years, and then the year of Jubilee, which is like in the 50th year, right, that we, we, we just sort of eradicate everything. What's interesting is there's no biblical proof and no extra biblical proof that they actually lived into that at all. Uh, even though it's in the scriptures, right? And so that's in and of itself one of the reasons we don't continue that process is because they didn't do it. And so why would we if they didn't really practice it? At least we don't think they did because there's no real evidence that they actually practice that. And I halfway get that, right? I mean, golly, if I if I took out debt for whatever, whether home or otherwise, a new, a new business like last year, and now it's the seventh year... Uh, as the person who lent that money, I, I would not be happy about that, right? I would not want that to be the case. Uh, and it, you you would certainly see that people would begin to take advantage of that. Let me wait until the sixth year to take out notes or to, to, to borrow money, right? So my hunch is that's why that doesn't happen. With regard to other um, conversations around money in the Old Testament or practices, I really can't think of anything else that's not really practiced uh, today, uh, other than the format you talked about. In addition to animals, of course, it was also grain because mm-hmm. it was an agrarian economy, right? And, and oh, by the way, those offerings, it's fascinating. We'll, I'll talk more about this in a minute, but um, those offerings were never intended to be practical. There was nothing practical about burning some of your animals or burning some of your grain, right? They weren't there for practicality. They were there for obedience and and discipline. Well, and that's the thing that I find confusing about that practice is I understand uh, sacrificing part of what you have to God, but I don't understand setting it on fire. Because what I think about is, okay, when we're giving our money, our hope is that the church is using that resource to serve and support other people who really need help. Right. And think of all the people that that grain could feed. Think of all mm-hmm. of the, the people that those animals could help. And yet they were just setting them on fire. And I don't really understand that. And I (laughs) guess it's because I live in the year 2022. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is a part of it. I I mean, mean, it would be like us picking up an offering and then setting all of the money on fire. That's right. Yeah. Uh, But, and it doesn't even just stop there. So with the animal sacrifice, it was also, Hey, let's slather some blood across the altar and on the, uh, on the, uh, on the Holy of Holies. And so you've got blood everywhere and you've got burnt, you know, flesh there. And, it, it feels very um, counterintuitive to what we're supposed to do. But the point was in an, in an ancient society where the belief was we, we literally lift something to God, that was the way to lift something to God, was to just burn it because it was the fragrant aroma. And the connection is uh, the scriptures also sort of talk about that God would be like a pillar of smoke. And so if God is a pillar of smoke, one of the ways I can make an offering to God is create this pillar of smoke that lifts up to God. But <laughs> it's not very practical at all. Let's shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um Jesus taught about money a lot. A lot of his parables used money mm-hmm. as a teaching tool. My guess would be it's because it's something that everybody understands to Absolutely. an extent. Absolutely. Uh, so even if you don't have it, you understand how money works. What is it that Jesus did in the way that he talked about generosity and giving that kind of flipped things on his head? Because I never heard him talk about, you know, uh, giving 
your money to God or giving or making sacrifices or, or things like that in the way that they talked about in the Old Testament. Certainly not those kinds of sacrifices. He does reference some some literal cash offerings, right? Like the widow's might and and the demonstration of what people were donating cash-wise, if you will, into the temple treasury. So he does make some comments with regard to that. But as you rightfully point out, so a lot of Jesus's teaching on money and wealth is uh, centered in the parables. And what one of the things we know about all of the parables, no matter what the analogy is, no matter what the circumstances around the parables are, every one of the parables is about uh, sort of trying to create or teach about how we can make God's kingdom come, right? How we can be kingdom people and create uh, God's kingdom in the world. So if indeed that's the case, then, golly, I forget the number, but it's, it's just over half of all of the parables that Jesus teaches are about money and wealth and the use of it. And I maintain that that's because Jesus knew that money influences us and has impact on our decision-making and our choices and all kinds of things. And so if that's true, then Jesus knows this is going to have influence on the way in which we build God's kingdom. So let's use it well. Let's use it wisely. Let's make sure that it has impact for God's good in the world. That's why he's teaching on it. So what are some of the the themes in Jesus's teachings on money? Was he actually teaching us how to manage our money or was he differentiating like generosity versus giving versus sacrifice? Yeah. So a couple of the teachings would be things like um, the widow's might, which, you know, so these guys are, uh, some of the legal folks are making large offerings, seemingly so, because the larger the coin, the bigger the offering. She goes over and, and hands over what is called a mite, which is worth less than a penny, so thin you can almost see through it, right? It, and back then, the size of the coin made the difference. Jesus uses, lifts her up as an example that she's literally giving her all, whereas they are giving out of their abundance. In other words, what they won't miss. But she gave uh, all. She only had two. She gave the whole thing. And so Jesus lifts up even a very minimal kind of offering as the way to go, right? It's, so it has to have substance. It has to have some sense in which it has meaning to you, right? Uh, another example is the rich fool who finds himself with all kinds of, of wealth, uh, in particular grain. So rather than be generous with that, he builds a bigger barn so he can store it up for himself. And Jesus uses the example that this guy's simply being selfish when he could actually make an impact in the world. He could help people, for instance, who are starving or who don't, who are food insecure or whatever. Uh, the, the point of that story is the guy's simply only caring about himself, and that's not a kingdom value, right? Um, other issues, which are much more difficult to really understand but have same similar impact, are the workers in the vineyard. When uh, a guy who owns a vineyard, he goes out early in the morning to get workers, day laborers, and then he goes out later in the morning, and then he goes out at noon, and then he goes out at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, he pays everybody the exact same amount. And as you can well imagine, those who had come early in the morning versus those who are coming late in the day, when they both get paid the same, the guy who's worked all day is ticked off, right? Mm -hmm. And Jesus uses this analogy to say, who are you to, to, to be upset about the way I am generous? I'm choosing to be generous and use the resources I have to, to do with it as I please. And the point, of course, is in God's kingdom, everybody has access to God's grace equally, and everybody has access to God's love equally. And so part of generosity there is just about how we choose to, to share our resources, right? 
So as you're going through all of these stories, I have all of these modern scenarios rattling around in my brain. Absolutely. Student loan forgiveness. People are upset saying, well, I paid off my student loans. Why are you forgiving them when I paid for it? Or why should I have to foot the bill for somebody else when I didn't choose to take out student loans? And it's the same argument. Yeah, because the arguments are always the same, aren't they? There's nothing new under the sun. And I was thinking about like paying your fair share in taxes and people saying, well, he paid $10,000 in taxes. Yeah, but he's a billionaire. So it's actually only $5. And I'm just all of these things, all of these lessons that Jesus was teaching us about generosity are so relevant (laughs) to the way that we talk about money today. Right. right. So this is going to be a crazy question. If Jesus were to show up today and start preaching to us in the same way that he did 2,000 years ago, do you think that he would be instantly labeled as a socialist or a communist? Well, isn't that interesting? Because um, clearly Jesus was about caring for all, and Jesus was about helping people who needed help. Uh, but he was also a, he was not opposed to, for instance, individual wealth. When he used the story of the of the people donating, you know, large coins versus the widow's might, he was not saying you shouldn't earn an income or you shouldn't have private wealth. He wasn't saying that. What he was saying is you ought to be generous, and it ought to be substantial the ways in which you are generous. So, um, you know, socialism and communism uh, and capitalism, for that matter, are all modern constructs, right? I mean, they're not ancient constructs. And so uh, could Jesus be identified as a socialist? I'm not sure that he could be, but he certainly was about, hey, how can we be in this together? And how can we make sure that we care for each other? Sometimes that care was through money, but sometimes that care was just through love and being present, right? And helping people out in tangible ways. So I I don't know that he would be called a a socialist. Now, on the other hand, when we look at the early church in the book of Acts and chapters two and chapter four, by golly, where they're literally sharing things. I mean, it, they it, it it is basically a commune textbook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yet what's fascinating too is you get to chapter five, and and there's some real harsh ramifications for the way in which, and the, and there's no bones about this, the way in which Ananias and Sapphira uh, dispose of some of their personal property, and there was no bones about them having personal property and their own personal wealth, but it was the way in which they d- uh, disposed of it that became the challenge. And it wasn't just the way, but the the manner in which they communicated it and told people what they were doing. So it is a fascinating um, set of circumstances. Well, and and one of the things that, you know, I get caught up in, um, because we are all about fairness, Mm. we're all about justice. It's part of our human nature. And when we see someone is, you know, getting more, making more, doing than everyone else. We're like, that's not fair. And so I feel like we have this tendency to try to force generosity on other people, but it never works. Mm. So what is the difference between true generosity and just giving? Yeah. Well, for me personally, that's all I can demonstrate is for me, generosity is about an attitude or a way of being. I can be generous with my time. I can be generous with my talent or capacity. I can certainly be generous with uh, my attitude and or with my dollars. Giving, for me, on the other hand, is a more tangible act. I'm going to give of my time and I'm going to give my dollars. And so it's more of a tangible concept. 
concept. But generosity is the overarching concept in the biblical model. Generosity uh, is comes out of the belief of, I'm grateful for what I have, however it came, and I want to demonstrate that gratitude by being generous with my time, my talents, or my, my capacity. If generosity is an attitude, do you think that generosity comes more naturally to some people than to other people? Or is it something that all of us have a level playing field and we work into it? Yeah. I I believe very strongly, as you know, in spiritual gifts, and generosity actually happens to be one of the spiritual gifts. And so do some people have more natural tendencies to it? Yes. And I see it in certain people that I've witnessed that have the spiritual gift of generosity, or sometimes called giving. But uh, my wife, for instance, has the spiritual gift of generosity. And um, Is it hard to be married to someone who has a spiritual <laughs> gift of generosity? Well, yes and no. Yes and no, Because for this reason. One is, I mean, Kay is very frugal, as am I, and so there's a real sense in which we hold on to things, right? But there's also a sense in which when push comes to shove, because she has the spiritual gift of generosity, she is much more willing than I mm-hmm. to just give somebody off, of, you know, at, off the street or some person she's just met or some set of circumstances that where I would want to know you know, well, how's that going to be spent and how's that going to work and why are we doing it? And I'd have a whole bunch of questions. Kay, on the other hand, is just willing to right. just hand it over. And so to me, that's, and that's just one instance. I mean, I know several people in the life of this church and many churches that have the spiritual gift of generosity and they are the same way. And generosity in that spiritual gift, again, is not just about giving money. It's about giving yourself. It's about offering time, right, or my, my talents and abilities. Uh, and so, yeah, I do think some people are more naturally gifted with it, if you will, but I also think it can be learned or discovered um, through experience. How do you do that? Because I'll, I'll be fully uh, transparent. I do not identify with generosity. Mm. Um, I give I, it has taken me, and, and I've talked about this on a few different um, podcasts, the church that I'm a member of, I'm up to a full tithe. It took me a long time to get there, but it is not joyful for me. It is not something that I'm excited about. It is not something that every time I see an opportunity to be generous, I, I jump on it. It's really hard for me. My partner, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. He sounds more like Kay, mm. where in every situation, his first reaction, where we see someone on a, a houseless person on the side of the road, I'm sitting holding leftovers from the dinner we just went out to, and he'll stop, take them out of my hand, not say anything, and hand to the person. I was like, wait, I was going to eat that he <laughs> later. And, he and Kay are soulmates. He doesn't even think. Yeah. Think about it. Yep. He, yep. It, it's anything that he has. He would literally take the shirt off of his back yep. to give it to somebody in his midst yep. who's struggling. And it's not that I don't want to do that. It's that the thought doesn't even cross my mind. Yeah. And I don't know how to get to that point. I want yeah. to be a generous person, but I, I, I've struggled for so long to get to that point. Yeah. Well, thanks for that transparency. I think it's really important for us to own that. And thank you for being a tither. I mean, as a pastor, part of what I know is uh, literally less than 3% of all 
uh, followers of Jesus are tithers, and so it's a very minimal group of people. Well, but it's hard. It, it is. I get like, it. It is stressful yeah. to see that money come out of my bank account every month. <laughs> so I want to get to joyful. I really do. Well, and that's the journey, because here's the deal with generosity. Generosity is not only a, a um, spiritual gift, but generosity is also a spiritual practice. That is to say, just like praying or scripture reading or worshiping, generosity is a spiritual practice. And the point of all spiritual practices, I know we'll, we're, gonna, we're spending time on this in some other uh, avenues, but the point of all spiritual practices is to help strengthen and renew our faith. And in part, joy is a part of that, right? So my, my prayer for you would be that you, you do hit that joyful component and that it feels as though it's um, a blessing for you and a blessing for your church and all of those things, right? Instead of simply the habit. Now, having said that, I will also say thank you for making the journey of um, uh, sort of the discipline and the obedience that can hopefully get you to the joy, because I think that's important too. The discipline and the obedience are where uh, the blessing comes. Scripture tells us, and I share this when I teach on tithing, um, a a blessing comes out of tithing. It may not be a financial blessing. It may not be um, a blessing in a typical sense, but the Scriptures are real clear in the Old and the New Testament that anytime we're obedient to what God is asking us to do, that a blessing will come. Sometimes that's an inner peace, Sometimes it's joy. Sometimes it's a it's a um, an assurance that golly, I'm doing the right thing, and this is helpful to me or others. Right? It, the blessing can take on a lot of different formats. Yeah, and f- I'll, I'll also be transparent and say the automated giving helps a lot <laughs> because my mom and I have had conversations. She was like, "Oh yeah, back before the internet." When I was tithing, I had to literally get out my checkbook and write a check at the beginning. And I was like, I don't know if I'd have the strength to do that. Like, I don't know. So it's kind of nice that it's like out of sight, out of mind. We we do love automated giving. We do love automated giving. And you've talked about you are a person who is given above and beyond the tithe. And I know that you're a very generous person. Anytime that we do um, a campaign around a certain nonprofit or we're trying to fundraise for something or whatever, I know you're one of the first people to donate to the cause. Um, What was your path to generosity? Because it sounds like it's not your spiritual gift. So how did you get there? Well, that's a great question, and I appreciate you asking, because number one, it's helpful to reflect, right? Number two, I hope that it might be helpful to others. Um, So I didn't start out as a tither, but I will say, you know, Kay and I grew up in the same church. Uh, She went off to A&M. We've forgiven her for that since then. But uh, I stayed in town and stayed at our our home church. And I started, I I don't know why. I really can't tell you other than somebody must have influenced me. I started giving. I had not done that in high school or early in college. Uh, And as I started giving, I started sensing that this was something that I should be doing, right? That somehow, you know, that it worked. They actually, this was a big mistake on their part. They actually put me on the finance committee at that point, because back then that was the deal. Golly, if there's a young person interested and golly, if they're giving, then let's put them on the finance committee. That wasn't a, a good choice for me. Anyway, long story short, I go to work in the church. I'm on my process for ordination. And the first pastor I worked for, Charles uh, Cook was his name, was just a great mentor on generosity. And I I went to Charles at one point when I was struggling with, can I actually afford the tithe? You know this, right? Mm -hmm. This whole sense of, can I actually afford it? And so I I was probably, I must have been, let's see, uh, uh, 24, I guess. No, 22, must have been 22. 
uh, so I just go into Charles's office. It's the annual stewardship campaign, and it's you know it's time for me to pledge, just like anybody else. I'm new to the church, and I just said, Charles, what do I do? I said, I, I want to tithe, but I'm not convinced I can afford to tithe. And Charles just, he's, he was always a very gracious, very humble, a very genuine guy. And uh, Charles just said, the tithe is what God desires, the tithe is what God wants, and the tithe is what God deserves. And uh, he said, Daniel, you, you've got to make your own choice. And so I made the choice to start tithing. And I just thought, um, let's just bite this thing off and make it work, right? And so I just did it, and that's typically the way I do things. I, I don't tend to gradually do things. I just tend to, you know, do them, whatever they are. And then uh, finish up, Kay and I get married, and then we've got a, a corporate decision to make, right? Because we, we are big believers that when we're married, we blend everything, right? That that's just who we are, so we blend finances. So Kay and I sit down, we talk about it, we pray about it, and we try to discern and and even though Kay had this, has the spiritual gift of, of uh, generosity, she was not quite convinced of the tithe early on. And uh, I just said, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to tithe on my income. Luckily, I was the, uh, she was the wage earner in the family. I wasn't earning anything as a pastor. <laughs> and um, uh, uh, so it was easier to tithe on my income versus our income together. So that's, we started that way. And then about... Let's see, we've been married 33 years. Probably within about three years, we, we finally came to the resolution that we could tithe and that we ought to tithe and that it would be the best thing. If I'm going to be the leader of a church and ask people to do this, obviously we ought to do this together. And so we started tithing many, many years ago. And then about, I would say roughly a decade ago, I couldn't tell you when exactly, but roughly a decade ago, uh, Kay and I move beyond the tithe, and just on a on a regular and consistent basis, we give more than ten percent because we believe we've been blessed and we have that capacity. And not everybody has that capacity, but but we do, and it and we have found it to be a true blessing to not only give a tithe and more to the church, but anytime there are special offerings or special opportunities, we are challenged to say, if I'm going to ask as the leader of the church, I better be invested and I better be a part of that. And Kay helps me to find that joy and to find that connection. And it's really a gift, really a gift. Well, and it struck me, um, one of the things that you talked about, of at, you've started by tithing off of your wages. And I will say, like, and and I think this is biblical as well, because um, what is, I don't know the scripture off the top of my head, but where it says it's easier uh, for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than mm-hmm. for a rich man to get yep. into heaven. Yep. Um, it, as much of a struggle as it is for me now to tithe, it is so much easier. I didn't give it all when I was mm. making. Yeah. Yeah. More than double the money that I'm making now. Right. Yeah. Um, and it I was stingy and I had so much. I was I I was putting into savings. I was doing all of the things mm-hmm. to take care of myself. I was not giving a dime yep. to the church because the thought of that amount of money leaving my bank account, even though giving 10% of my income then would still leave me with more earnings than I have now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't do it. Yep. I couldn't bring myself to do it. And I, as soon as I let that job go, let all of the wealth go, like I ended up, you know, I have my divorce story and not financial ruin, but a financial awakening, yeah, cha- let's yeah, say. Yeah. Um, and it was at that point when I discovered I can do this. I, and, um, 
maybe it's because it was more palatable that it was less actual money going out, even though it was still 10%. I don't know what it is, but there is something about like the more money you have, the harder it is to give. And I don't know why that is. Because it's the human condition. It's why Jesus taught so much about it. And it's why Jesus said those very words. It's harder. uh, It's easier for a camel to go through that. That's not only scriptural, but it's it's the it's the very essence. Uh, your story is the essence of that. The more we earn, the more we believe it's ours. The more we believe, we should have full sway over how it's used and so forth and so on. And the beauty behind the the tithe, or even just generosity. I mean, let's just stick with that. But certainly, the tithe is a component. Is um, generosity pulls us away from self. And therefore, because it pulls us away from self, it calls us to a grander vision of what God has in store, not just for us, but for the whole world and all of creation, and thus how, how we can build the kingdom of God. And, that's, and so the beauty of the tithe is that a, a percentage, 10% in this case, is the same for everybody, mm-hmm. right? Whether you earn $5 a week or whether you earn $5 million a week— 10% is 10%. And so you're right, it's a little more palatable, 10% off of five bucks versus five million, but it's still just the same percentage. Another thing I wanted to talk about, and this is kind of a, a hard place, is is worry and fear. Mm. Um, when it comes to money, there's a lot of worry and fear, and I'm the first to own it. I worry about money all the time. The Bible feels like it's constantly telling me not to worry. <laughs> and it's actually really annoying. Um, <laughs> telling me, <laughs> God saying, hey, if I take care of the sparrows in the field, won't I take care of you? Yep. Um, it, Listen it's, up Sunday. That's I know, coming up Sunday. It's hard. It's hard not to worry. I can't seem to overcome my fear around finances. Do you have any advice for people like me? who struggle with the fear Mm. around not having enough. Well, first of all, it's important just to own the fear, right? That is to say, realize that it's real and true, because until we own that and understand that, there's no way to move beyond it. So kudos that you're, you're, you know, you're owning that and understanding that. Uh, number two, you're right, Scripture says over and over, don't worry. Uh, and a part of that comes down to trust. Yeah. And, and what, also, when, when has someone told you not to worry and it actually made you stop worrying? <laughs> like, that's what's so annoying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, so, uh, you know, I'm going to give you what I just consider to be textbook answers, really, and that is, number one, you already did something that would that helps, and that is you, you just started doing it. You started tithing, and you, 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 you know, you took gradual time to do it, but you did it nonetheless. And so part of that is a realization that you can trust God and that it will work because it has worked, right? What, what causes the worry, I can only assume, is, well— X came up and Y came up I hadn't planned for and circumstances arose that, golly, I wasn't, you know, we've had some of that this past year ourselves, and it does cause concern, right? And it does cause us to pause and wonder how we're going to do this. And that's where the textbook, other spiritual practices can come in and help. Read more scripture, pray to God, and and own it. You know, part of what we sometimes forget in our prayer life is that it's all right to say, Holy crap, God, how's this going to work? And why is this happening? And I don't understand. In other words, have a real conversation with God, just like you might with your partner or a close personal friend. Um, That conversation in prayer is, is important. And so, my challenge to you and others would be have that kind of very frank conversation with God. 
and listen. And the listening won't happen instantly, right? But there's God does speak and communicate and connect, and so, uh, so prayer is about. And then a, a second component is community in in a life group or in a small group of some kind. Share those burdens and allow the community to help with the burden. Whether that's advice, whether that's prayer for you, whether that's just saying, "Hey, here, I, I you know, I went through that," and they share their own experience. All of those can be helpful. I think that another component of worry is not just what's happening right now, but it's a lot of fear of the future mm. um, because it is. And that's one of the things that it's like cultural differences between Bible times and now. Um, and correct me on any, cause you know, the culture of the new Testament better than I ever would, but it seems like it was more communal mm-hmm. living. And when you, get to a certain age, like families are staying together. There is not this pressure of like, go out, get your own home, build your own retirement, take care because of yourself. Because there was necessity, necessity. Right. And so I'm at the point where, yes, there's the day-to-day of like, oh, well, I blew out a tire, wasn't planning for that. That's $200 out the door, you know, (laughs) things like that. Uh, But then there's also this fear of like, oh my gosh, retirement, retirement. Mm -hmm. I'm 34 years old. Like it's nowhere near. It's nowhere near. But I still have that worry of like, okay, I think a lot of people in my generation are like, social security, not going to exist by the time we retire. Um the amount, the cost of living unsustainable by the time we retire. So we have all of this, these numbers swimming in our head of like, okay, how am I going to survive? And then also a lot of people in my generation are like me choosing not to have kids. Mm. And so I think a lot of us depend on our children to take care of us. And that isn't necessarily in the cards. And so, um, it, it just seems like there is that cultural difference would Jesus say the same thing to me today that he said to people in those scriptural times? Like, hey, don't save up for the future. Don't worry about, you know, don't store your grains in these silos, all of the things, um, because it, it doesn't feel applicable yeah. to the way we live. Well, uh, so the world is different, right? And uh, retirement is a clear example. I mean, retirement is a purely 20th century construct, right? I mean, it didn't exist prior to the Industrial well, we Revolution. we didn't live past, past 40 for a long time. Well, but, <laughs> but we also worked until we died yeah. because we didn't plan for the future in that kind of way. So it is a modern construct, and we just have to accept that. So again, Jesus. so the simple answer is Jesus would say the same thing. He would say the same thing to us. Uh, and I say this uh, with all sincerity in terms of my own life because I too started planning early for retirement. It's like from from literally the beginning of my ministry, I was planning for retirement, right? And so, um, and simply because I saw in my own family and in other circumstances ways that weren't working, and I wanted to help make that work, right? Whatever that was. But I think it comes down to this: is we can have concern. Concern causes action, in my opinion. Concern is, well, I'm concerned that I may not have enough, or I'm concerned that this won't quite work as I'd planned, or I'm certainly concerned that certain circumstances came up that I had not planned for. Concern causes me to you know, weigh the value and figure things out and make choices and determination. Worry, on the other hand, just paralyzes. Hmm. And it causes me to go, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do, or how am I going to do this? And I twiddle my thumbs metaphorically because I, I don't know what to do. And I think uh, 
when Jesus in Matthew 6 uses this analogy about don't worry, he's actually specifically talking about true needs, food, clothing, right? And um, he's saying, don't worry so much about those things. If you will focus on what it is God desires from you, which is loving other people, loving God, caring for creation, those kinds of things, God's going to figure out a way to help meet those needs. Now, is retirement a need? Not really a need, mm-hmm. right? I, I, need, I need income by age X or Y or Z, right? But the reality is, I could still work. I could still generate income. I guess I didn't even consider the fact that the culture shift is that we're now a culture of comfort. Right. And Jesus's was not. Oh, man, not at all. It's like survival. Right, right. And so when he talks about needs, we really struggle with what a need is, don't we? Because we are so comfortable. We define everything that we have as a need when it's not really a need. My need for, you know, that Starbucks cup or my need for those certain kinds of clothes, those aren't needs. Those are wants, right? And so Jesus is really referencing need. And, and I just, I, I again, lift up this distinction that's been helpful for me. This is not scriptural so much as just sort of either philosophical or whatever, between worry and concern. I think Jesus would be all right with concern. I think Jesus was concerned about a lot of things, mm-hmm. but um, he didn't let worry stop him or, um, uh, uh, you know, paralyze him. For the people who have listened to this whole thing, and maybe they're in the the same boat that I was back when I was making a lot of money and wasn't giving a dime, Mm. they're sitting here thinking, yeah, I have been feeling like I need to start giving for a long time. And I, it it just, the idea of going straight into a tithe (laughs) is, is just irrational. (laughs) Yeah. 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 No, I get it. Yeah. What? small steps can people realistically take to get started in generous giving? Yeah. I'll kind of give two two thoughts here. One is very biblical, and and then the other is just what I'll call practical. So when we look in the scriptures, some of the earliest um, references to offerings come very quickly. Uh, One is Cain and Abel, right, in Genesis chapter 4, and the, you know, Cain kills Abel uh, because of the jealousy of that. But the, the issue was their offering. And Abel brought an offering that was a prime gift to God. It was like a well thought out, well uh, concerned, uh, the top priority of his life. That's what made his offering distinctive. The scriptures don't say why he did that, but I make up that it was because he was grateful, that he was really grateful for who God was and what God did. We move just a couple of chapters later in Genesis chapter 8, and Noah, having you know built the ark, uh, transferred all the animals, the flood comes and goes, and they get out of that ark. And having saved all those animals, you know the very first thing he did? Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, the very first thing he did was built an altar and burned up some of those animals. And you think to yourself, what in the world is he doing? We've just saved these animals to try to procreate and repopulate the earth again. And he takes them and kills them and, and makes them as an offering to God. And that's very clear that he's doing that by for, to say, thank you, God. Thanks for saving my family. Thanks for saving these animals. Thanks for helping recreate the earth. And therefore, an offering becomes, I do this because I'm grateful. I'm doing this because I want to simply say thanks. So the very first step, I think, for any offering, whatever you determine, is do it because you're, you're wanting to say thanks. You're wanting to offer gratitude to God for what God's done 
in your life or in the world or whatever. Start with gratitude. It, it's a really important concept. The second is what here at Treach, what we call the 2% principle. So this is the practical thought. So um, first of all, we ought to give in proportion to how we believe we've been blessed or, or how grateful we are. So pick a proportion, whatever that is that you're comfortable with starting with, 1%, 2%, 5%, whatever proportion of your income you are comfortable starting with, start there and just start giving it. Don't pick a random dollar amount. Figure out what you make, whatever that is, whether it's weekly, monthly, annually, however you want to parcel it out, and then start a percentage. And then what we say here at Treach is every six months, so over time, every six months, increase that proportion by 2%. That's the 2% principle. So if you started at 1, increase to 3. If you started at 3, increase to 5, right? And do that gradually over time. I, I make up that somewhat what you had done, something along those lines, right? You started with an amount amount, and you gradually started increasing it over time until you got to the tithe. We just call it 2%. I did do it off a dollar amount, though, so well, I didn't do it the right okay. way, but I That's was basically right. like, okay, how much am I spending on coffee each week? <laughs> okay, I'll start off by giving 20 bucks a week sure. because that's what I... So I guess it was yeah. like, I'm grateful that I get to enjoy a cup of coffee yeah. every morning, so why not turn that into an offering? <laughs> right, right. But it, it really... It wasn't a percentage at first, but I okay. got there eventually. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I just say started a percentage because it, it also takes, I mean, your thoughts were calculated, right? I spend 20 bucks a week on coffee or whatever, but a, a part of proportion is it's a biblical concept and then it helps us think it through and then just start 2% every six months. All right. Well, this has been really helpful. I want to encourage y'all um, to visit tmumc.org slash generosity, mm. uh, because if you're looking at getting started uh, with giving, we have prayer plans on there for you. Uh, cool. That chart that Daniel just described around like percentage versus income, we have that to make it a little bit easier for you uh, to calculate what your giving percentage could be. Um, and we also... Uh, uh, have a place on there that's an estimate of giving. So if you do decide uh, to make a gift and start a regular offering, you can tell us about it. So tmumc.org slash generosity. And thanks, Daniel, for yeah. teaching us what the Bible says about it. Good to be here. Good to be here. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org. Next week's episode will be brought to you by Men in Progress, a monthly podcast series hosted by the United Methodist Men of Treach to explore challenges faced by men.